Hello, and welcome to Permission to Be. I'm your host, Becca Epley, joined as always by my co-host, David Roberts. Permission to Be exists to be a space of hope for those journeying to find their true, authentic selves. We hope that the story shared here will inspire you on your own journey and help you unlock the permission to be who you have always truly been. Hello and welcome to Permission to Be. Today we have with us Dr. Lucretia Berry. She is an author and facilitator. She received her PhD in education from Iowa State University and she is one of our favorites here in Charlotte, North Carolina. She lives here um, with her husband and family. Lucretia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Becca and David. So happy to be here. Now, Lucretia, before we get into a uh, deep discussion about the work that you do and kind of the journey that you've been on in that work, uh, we always start out with a bit of an icebreaker question. And that question is, inevitably, when this important work that you do takes off and the machine that is Hollywood decides they too want a kind of a a cut off of the the work that they do and they offer you a kind of an obnoxious amount of money for permission to make a movie based on your life and your work, Um, perhaps one of the things that you negotiate in that scenario is kind of the opportunity to make recommendations or suggestions on who they cast as Lucretia Berry. And so in this certainly inevitable scenario, who would you recommend that the producers cast as yourself in the movie based on your life and work? Okay. What a great question, (laughs) especially because it forces me to think so big, (laughs) you know, and, um, Let's see. Well, um, so if I'm going through my life, uh, the little Lucretia should be cast by, and I I don't know her name, but she plays Mm -hmm. Diane on Blackish. So she could be the little Lucretia. And then probably the, um, I don't know, teenage young woman could be Lupita Nyango. (laughs) She Mm -hmm. could be me. Because I used to be that narrow. (laughs) And then probably uh, adult Lucretia could be um, Angela Bassett because she's my favorite. So (laughs) Mm, I love her. (laughs) Excellent answer. So Lucretia, some of the work that are actually a big part of the work you do here is um, with an organization um, that I believe that you founded called Brown as City. And correct me if I'm saying that wrong. No, that's Um, right. Brown as City. That's right. Can you tell us a little bit more about that organization here in Charlotte and the work that it does? Okay, great. So um, Brown as City is um, kind of a unique organization. We are dedicated to, well, we're very family focused and we're dedicated to um, advocacy, education and support for uh, racial healing and anti-racism. And Mm -hmm. um, essentially what my husband and I, now I am African-American and my husband is um, white American. And so we are a multi-ethnic family. Um, We have three multi-ethnic children. And uh, because of anti-racist work that my husband and I have done in the past, we, you know, came into our marriage very conscious um, Mm -hmm. of the, of what we would need to teach our children and to um, tell our children so that they could, you know, exist in a country that has a a daunting uh, uh, history of race and, and racism. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we, but how can we be, you know, who we are as a family, as Mm -hmm. one family. And we needed a framework for that. We needed language Mm -hmm. and we were very intentional. So even before we had children, we had, my husband and I talked about this and, um, and decided, you know, you know, what framework, what ideology, um, Mm -hmm. how we would present ourselves as a family, um, as a multi-ethnic family. And, and of course this is, you know, before the country's current, yeah. Um, a presentation of division. We could not know. We, I mean, we didn't own, we anticipated things would just, you know, be, be increasingly better. We could not have even um, 
we yeah we just didn't think it would be what we would be where we are now so Mm -hmm. fortunately we were we already were in had those plans in the making and so then in having conversations with our girls um and having age-appropriate conversations Mm -hmm. um and being uh encouraging them to talk about you know how in our family we look different and you know Mm -hmm. children need language to talk about the things that Mm -hmm. they observe and of course in our country you know we unfortunately have this history of colorblindness which has robbed us of you Mm -hmm. know language and the framework and even Mm -hmm. the mission to have these healthy conversations that could be um actually work for us but because we don't have that we haven't been empowered and equipped you know so then um we just falls short (laughs) we are just um, yes and um yeah it's like we you know we don't we don't even know how to have uh conversations that can be healthy and helpful Mm -hmm. um around race and racism but anyway in our home we were we were having um healthy conversations and so um quickly the word brownicity is two words put together brown um, comes from um, my our first daughter said you know she came up with this concept or she actually had done a project at school where they did self portraits and she learned that people are all shades of brown and so we okay if a four year old can understand that we're all shades mm-hmm. of brown then um, okay let's run with that and then we taught her about melanin and then melanin being associated with your ancestors mm-hmm. and then your ancestors where they were located geographically and so how that all has something to do with how you look you know physically mm-hmm. and um, again children can understand that and um, so in our home it's pretty we were always pretty comfortable talking about what people look like. So the brown represents, you know, melanin as in we're all, Mm. we all have melanin. Some have um, less and so lighter skin and some have more. So deeper brown skin. And then the city comes from ethnicity and ethnicity means that which we have in common. So um, brownicity, the word is, is like this representation of, um, we are many hues, but we are one humanity. And that Mm -hmm. was the foundation um, that our family, that's what we started with. Like we didn't start co- the conversation with the division. Well, you know, mommy is black and daddy is white. Yeah. We, we, we built the foundation of oneness. And then, um, as our children got older, you know, when it's time to go to school and you know that there's going to be, ta- you know, different mm-hmm. perspectives and conversations, um, around difference, then we, uh, begin to educate about, race as a construct and how mm-hmm. man man created race and mm-hmm. and teaching that of course in very age appropriate ways and so because again that was a common thing that we did with our children we would get tons of questions from friends um all around us some you know mono ethnic families like all mm-hmm. white mm-hmm. um but at that time we happened to be in a neighborhood with a lot of ethnic diversity um families where maybe both parents were white and they had adopted brown children mm-hmm. um, and multi-ethnic families like ours. So we were, you know, asked lots of questions and people really enjoyed like how we talked about it yeah. and how we shared, um, you know, people would say, well, how can we can talk to you about race? And it doesn't feel so heavy and daunting and scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and people said, you know, you should do something with, this whatever this is yeah, and yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know what that was but mm-hmm. sure enough um the more people ask us questions then um the more we thought yeah let's let's be you know let's be a, a tool let's mm-hmm. help out our community our friends um and and i was really passionate about family because i i didn't i haven't seen a lot out there that helps like with family conversations, mm-hmm. you know, you have the conversations you have at school, mm-hmm. you have the conversations mm-hmm. that um, are happening with policy and, and legislature yes. and Washington, D.C. and economics. But yeah. um, what do conversations just look like um, in the home that are healthy mm-hmm. and that are transformative and that are, you know, preparing, um, supporting children to be conscious and, um I say conscious, creative, and courageous. Mm-hmm. So that's what we do. So we, <laughs> so I created a curriculum. My background in education, kind of, I love mm-hmm. teaching. 
So um, I created a curriculum and um, we have been invited into churches in the area mm-hmm. to uh, facilitate the curriculum. It's called What Lies Between Us with the play on the word lies yeah. because of all of the lies yeah, that we yeah. have. So many. Believe. So many. And then, um, and then it's been amazing to watch people in other parts of the country um, take it on as well. My father-in-law is a pastor in Iowa. And he, I, I told him, I said, I think you're going to out teach me because he's taught the series, you know, so many times. And so in his own church, and then he's been invited to other places and spaces. So I'm like, wait a minute now. (laughs) (laughs) He can't my job. Daddy. He's going to let me. He's going to let me. I'm like, wait, hold on. No, but it's great to see that. You know, and that mm-hmm. he is this white male pastor mm-hmm. and, um, and he is passionate about this work. And then he mm-hmm. has this tool, this curriculum to help that will help him educate and do it well, mm-hmm. because not everybody mm-hmm. is doing this thing well. So, no. so, yeah, so that's what we do. We just try to give the gift that we've been given through um, education and through our work. And when I say we, I mean, my husband and I, um, we've been fortunate to be able to live out some things and do life work, um, like work in real life. And then, so we've tried to give that to our community through Brownicity. Mm-hmm. What would be your dream for Brownicity? Like in 10 years, oh. where, where, like no, no, nothing in the way, no barriers. Okay. I am just so passionate about education and I would love if Brownicity was like this resource where, you know, people could come, whether it's, you know, online, I mean, okay, they come take a class or they come be trained, you know, on how to do this, how to do this well, where we create, we've created so much helpful content and it's just all over, um, Wherever colonization has <laughs> so, forced racism, every you know. square inch of the United States. Yeah. Yes. Oh, of course, every square inch of the United States. Um, with no Brown City would um, be doing the work of deconstructing um, racist ideology um, within ourselves, yeah. you know, humans, and then within our our systems. So, um, and again, I, I would love if, you know how, um, I don't know why I keep, I was, I say Tupperware parties, but you know, when you have the, the Tupperware parties and you have everybody over, yeah. I mean, I would love for people to have like girls, we're moms or whoever, we're doing brown city mm-hmm. parties. And then you come over and you like have the conversations and you do the activities and you build each other up and we just transform the Mm. culture. I would love that. Who can make that happen? I know. (laughs) Just speak it. Speak it out there. Yes. Contact me. Contact me. (laughs) Lucretia will get you completely set up. So piggybacking off that, um, you you know, if that's, if that's, you know, down the road, 10 years from now, Mm. that's the dream. Here we are in Charlotte today kind of through this lens, particularly, you know, your background in education and kind of seeing that is so crucial, kind of starting uh, with kids, starting with a family and stuff like that. Where here in Charlotte, um, kind of from an educational perspective, where do you see some of the biggest deficits mm-hmm. are uh, presently when it comes to whether you're, whether whether we're talking in schools directly or, or in family mm-hmm. units, um, yeah. where are some of the biggest deficits when it comes to kind of creating a healthy understanding of race and diversity uh, in, in children today? Oh, gosh. That, it's like all of these things are flying into my head all at once. <laughs> so, I mean, education, but oftentimes education – is just ascribed to, you know, like public education or formal education Mm -hmm. through schools. But church is an institution of education. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. from churches, churches, we are educated, um, especially here in the Bible Belt, you know, that's where we are educated about what we believe, you know, or what we should believe or what is moral, you know, and what is Mm -hmm. immoral, what is important. And I think, yeah, um, 
churches are um, are not educated. Like I don't know seminaries that offer courses in um, you know anti racism mm-hmm. um, or anti racism education, or you know are there courses that in seminaries that help pastors pastor communities that need to be healed Mm -hmm. from um, uh, racial history, racist history and and racial things, racist things that have occurred. Um, So, uh, you know, I think about, you know, where do, you know, parents, how do parents parent their children? Well, essentially, you know, they parent how they have been parented. Mm -hmm. And so, um, in many homes, um, in, in I'm going to say in most homes, whether white or homes of color, there isn't, there hasn't been like a healthy anti-racism education or ra- anti-racism literacy or racial healing framework that has been mm-hmm. um, communicated, right? So... Across the board, I mean, we have to consciously move away from colorblindness. Um, I feel like schools can do things easily by, for example, moving away from a white centric, mm-hmm. you know, curriculum. And that's, you know, that's an easy thing um, to do. But in the spaces where we kind of learn mm-hmm deeper things like beliefs, belief systems and spiritual things. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are the places I think that, because that's where we learn Mm -hmm. who, whose life gets valued and whose life doesn't, you know, have value. Yeah. We, and, and that's co-signed, I think maybe they're co-signing each other, like what you learn at school about, you know, oh, who who are we celebrating as heroes? And mm. oh, this is we're celebrating what this person did, even though this person mm-hmm. totally devalued lives yeah. of people. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, we're celebrating this person, and then um, and then on the other hand, and then you go to church and you know, and um, maybe hear. Mm-hmm. messages that contradict that, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I just like the gap is so huge. Um, and I think, so for me, I'm like, I'm not, I used to be a college professor. Um, I'm not anymore. Um, I'm primarily um, mommying and <laughs> wifing and, and brownicitying, you know, so Which is a lot, that's a lot. <laughs> Yeah. So what can I do? Like, where do I have access? Mm -hmm. And so um, currently, whoever is has their arms open and whoever's asking questions, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm here uh, to Mm -hmm. to to be of service and to help. But I mean, there's just so much. So the, the gap, I mean, it's just there's just so much. Yeah. And going back to I mean, we. We give our children holidays for um, white people, and then we go to mm-hmm. church. Uh, for mm-hmm. a lot of our churches, are white Jesus, and the narrative. Right. There's no diversity in that narrative, right? And I mean, for me, and that's an easy one. You know, that's an easy one. What if all the white churches said, "You know what? Do we really need a white Jesus? Like, is white superiority so ingrained in us that we have to like?" take the savior's, you know, image and make it lighter or make it reflect. And I mean, and, and of course we know that um, many different cultures will show the image of Jesus, you know, reflecting them, but um, that's different than of course um, white Jesus, because white Jesus is more of this affirmation that, um, you know, Christianity salvation is synonymous with with whiteness, and then it's like white Jesus doesn't want mm-hmm. like when other cultures show mm-hmm. you know black Jesus, Asian Jesus, 
sometimes, you know, they get criticized. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah. Mm. They get death threats. Yeah. Death threats. Yes. And I'm like, really? Yes. But I don't know. But to me, that seems like an easy thing sometimes. Yeah. Like, okay, can we just stop with the white Jesus? Um, um, let's just start with easy stuff like that. <laughs> like, let's start deconstructing. But I, but that's deep. That's deep work. That's deep work. So. But it, but it's important. It goes back um, to kind of what you said, uh, kind of about you know education formally versus the home, and um, a, a number of people in my life have kind of had this little phrase. But this idea that, um, and this isn't just true of kids. I think it's true of everyone. But more is caught than taught. Mm-hmm. And this idea that on some level, yeah, you can teach, you can kind of have the formal education, but mm-hmm. but um, such a high percentage of what we pick up, what we internalize, what kind of becomes both our kind of subconscious kind of mm-hmm. unconscious assumptions, but also, you know, our, our active things like are things that we pick up that were learned that maybe we don't even realize we're internalizing. And so it might sound silly to someone, but even this, you know, I grew up um, in a home that as far as I can remember, wasn't overtly racist or anything. And yet we never talked about these things, color, diversity, mm-hmm. history wasn't talked about, you know, I kind of got mm-hmm. your, um, kind of typical or standard, you know, very white centric American history. Uh, if, mm-hmm. if you were to ask me in elementary school, I probably would have told you that, you know, Martin Luther King fixed, fixed all this. We're done now. Mm-hmm. We did it. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then simultaneous to that, then I get, I get, you know, a Bible curriculum that is presenting, representing a lot of the characters looking like me. And I'm not, mm-hmm. and I'm not even realizing how much that I'm kind of inter- internalizing that as as normal mm-hmm. or normative. And so, right. so I think there's a lot to what you're saying. It's a very holistic approach. That's not just about teaching facts, which is very much important, and, and g- giving people a mm-hmm. thorough history, but also just the the way that we kind of subconsciously internalize kind of the images and the practices, and you know, and all of that. So, mm-hmm. so, so, so no, I think I I think your answer is is great and, and, and important in its breadth in that way. So Lucretia, um, our podcast is called Permission to Be. And I know mm-hmm. um, you and I had a quick conversation about some level or maybe many levels. I think the idea of permission to be on authenticity um, comes from a place mm-hmm. of privilege. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I would, um, a couple different things, would love to hear your thoughts on that comment. Um, and then also hear um, part of your story and how um, you found permission to be who you are. Yeah, that um, when you brought that up, I you know, I thought, wow, that I was impressed, <laughs> like um, because yeah, oftentimes we, you know, we can't see our privilege as we are running towards freedom, as we have um, permission to be. Free. So, of course, to a degree, yeah, many of us have um, a lot less freedom. And so our being um, is going to be and our becoming is going to be um, a, a different journey um, and it's going to be shaped differently. So um, I'll just give this example um, because it's always easier to like look out of a window, I think, mm-hmm. and to look in a mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, when back in 97, 1997, I had the um, privilege of an opportunity to go to um, study in South Africa for mm-hmm. a little bit. And that was right after apartheid had ended. And so we were kind of going on a, it's, it was actually called like anti-racism field trip. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, um post-apartheid and we were going into schools and uh, observing like integration. So part of the, we had to prepare. So we had to learn all, you know, all of the history and of South Africa. And uh, one of the things that we did was we watched um, Serafina, um, which is a musical. So if you haven't seen uh, Serafina, you should watch it. And I cried. I mean, it's, it's a good movie. Um, And it's about the, um, the protest of the, the school children in Soweto. And um, I and I cried, not just because of what happened, but I watched children um, in this musical, like seeing about their dreams mm-hmm. and what they wanted to be and what they were going to become. Mm-hmm. 
And again, I was just, it, it was like a punch in my gut that I knew that there were systems in place, um, pretty strong systems to guarantee that they would not be able to become what, um, what they had mm-hmm. the um, capacity to become or, you know, what was on the inside of them. And, you know, I just, I was like, that, that wasn't fair because in every human is, you know, potential, brilliance, mm-hmm. you know, light um, yeah. to be cultivated. And, I, mm-hmm. um, and I'm like, okay, I haven't even gotten there yet. <laughs> and, I, and I'm just crying. I was crying. Um, so then when I touched, you know, my feet on the ground and I would be in the schools, uh, again, post-apartheid and just the smell, the feel and the look of, you know, we'd be in schools um, in the, I'll just say the black areas that of course had little um, in terms of resources and had been deprived. And it was just heartbreaking. Mm. It was heartbreaking. And then, you know, we'd go to the white schools who had um, overflowing in resources um, and opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so you say, well, okay, yeah, who has, who can become um, and, you know, mm-hmm. who can become who mm-hmm. they feel that they could, but who has the freedom to become? I'll say yeah. it that way. And um, so, yeah, it, um, I don't know, it just, it broke me yeah. um, because I feel like every child, you know, should have this opportunity. So as we talk about, you know, permission to be, I mean, ultimately on a spiritual scale, I guess like we all have permission to be, but for many of us, you know, particular, you know, maybe yeah. people of color or poor people, mm-hmm. um, social economically, um, who have been robbed of opportunities, who have been taken advantage of in the past, have probably to work through a lot, many more obstacles, uh, or maybe have permission, don't feel like they have permission, mm-hmm. have freedom snatched. I mean, yeah. even, you know, I, I feel like for a long time, I felt like, you know, as a woman in church, mm-hmm. you know, I haven't taught that, mm-hmm. you know, I have, um, I need permission mm-hmm. from male authority, you know, or from some type of authority um, to even address what, you know, I was inspired to do mm-hmm. or to think about doing, you know, what I was inspired to do. So we do have to contend with existing structures i mean and we do have a choice mm-hmm. like we can bump it bump up against the structure yeah. you know um you know but mm-hmm. still that takes some audacity yeah you know and some autonomy and some courage and vulnerability as Brene brown would mm-hmm. say <laughs> love her i'm glad you framed that in terms of freedom because i think that's i think that's huge like um i think so often and i know this is true beck i think you would agree with this in our our spiritual community in our church watershed is oftentimes there's a lot of celebration of kind of spiritual freedom or spiritual authenticity, which is great. I think that's important, but sometimes there is a, there's kind of a a preceding kind of material freedom that I think a lot of people take for granted that kind of gives them the space and the margin in their Mm -hmm. lives to kind of explore and experiment or deconstruct, you know, and that find that spiritual authenticity. And so, um, so no, no, I, I think that's well said on your part to, to, to kind of put the focus in that, that sense of freedom. Uh, I think that's, I think that's the right way to frame that. Mm-hmm. I think you're exactly right there. Yeah. And I think about, I remember being in college and it, it felt like, okay, all of the people of color who had come from families that, you know, who have struggled, mm-hmm. let's just say mm-hmm. in the country, I'll just be super general here. Like, most of us had like we have these, you know, expectations um, on us, like a weight. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my friend from South Korea. It's like her parents are saying, you know, you have to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a friend from South Africa. You have to be a doctor. <laughs> you know, um, you know, uh, other people. You have to be in business. You know, uh, and and so people didn't have this. 
they, they didn't have this freedom. Mm. And then, you know, I'd hang out with white friends and then they would say, like, oh, I'm just going to yeah. figure it out or open up a coffee shop or I'm like, what? <laughs> you could do that? You know, or I'm going to buy a motorcycle and ride around until I, you know, yeah. I'm like, wow. You know, <laughs> um, and then, but I do remember uh, at the church that I was a part of uh, at that particular time. Yeah, the pastor did a huge teaching on kind of this whole um, freedom to be. And um, I, his, I guess the, the message was so compelling that quite a few pe- uh, people changed their majors <laughs> to reflect, mm-hmm. yeah, to reflect um, mm-hmm. what their, their maybe what they were passionate about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I don't know when you were saying that it, it made me think also um, when Austin Chenning Brown came a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and talked here in Charlotte um, and just also the, the differences culturally, um, mm-hmm. how the white culture is not everybody, not to generalize, but mostly raised in a very individualistic society right. or mm-hmm. as um, people of color are raised mm-hmm. more in a, in a community. Yeah. Um, so I hear what you're saying. I mean, I feel like that also is a part of it. I can't speak to it because I haven't been a part of that community. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that leaves um, white people very ignorant of um, the rest of the world sometimes because we live in such this individualistic mm-hmm. fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have, we make assumptions because we have privilege to make the assumptions. Mm, that's powerful. We have privilege to make those assumptions. Yeah. So I had the privilege of hearing you speak at TEDx Charlotte a few years ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> so so I, that was the first time I got to hear you speak, which was awesome. Okay. I would love to hear if there's any more part of your journey, because I feel like um, Brownicity may be part of the developing of who you are. If that's mm-hmm. a, I don't want to put words in your mouth. What, where would you say that your journey, you know, like the authenticity piece has come from you? Oh, yeah. Brahmisti is definitely a part of my journey um, because, oh, gosh, coming. OK, so my background was very um, you probably don't know this term, but black people know this term. Blackity black, blackity black, black. <laughs> Look that up. No, don't look at it. Look at it. I mean, so basically, yes, please educate my whiteness. Blackity black black. No, basically, what that means this is like. So you know, like that means like I um, socially, it was just um, um, culturally black. So even though like I went to an integrated school, mm-hmm. um, um, but my social life. So outside of mm-hmm. school, um, there's no white people. So my family is all black. My um, church is all black. Um, maybe, you know, by the time I became, a, you know, like a teenager or whatever and, and worked, then maybe that would be, um, I would people from different backgrounds. But so, but most of my like home life, my warm, comfy life is black, black music, you know, um, all of that. And I even, um, I attended a historically black university um, for my undergrad. So really black. <laughs> so, um, was so very, um, and, and was very much about exploring my ethnicity and having my ethnicity be at the center of my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, and not because I like consciously did that, but because that was the world I lived in where, um, mm-hmm. my identity as, um, a black woman was like juxtaposed against whiteness. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I go to school and again, you know, I'm, I'm learning about white people, um, white conquests and accomplishments. Mm-hmm. And I'm the child mm-hmm. that's thinking, okay, y'all are leaving people out here. Mm-hmm. Like there are other people in the world that, and in the country that helped and did great things. And so really um, kind of my, you know, bumping up against whiteness mm-hmm. kind of shaped, I think, my black identity, mm-hmm. if I could say that. Part of it, I should say, part part partly shaped it and motivated a lot of the decisions um, that I made. And then, um, 
the ironic life that I have, because I do have an ironic theme that goes throughout my life, (laughs) that I end up in in graduate school in Iowa. So I go from a historical Iowa where there's like no black people. (laughs) And, um, and at this point, I, I don't think I even really, it didn't matter because I was a student. So I was just focused on schoolwork, but, um, I don't know. That was when, um, I attended, I attended a black church um, loved this church, knew I was supposed to be a part of this church um, because of the community and the people. And then there um, is when the pastor said, well, we're going to be an everybody church, not just a black church. And I was quite devastated mm. um, at the time. But that was uh, the beginning of a lot of inner work mm. for mm-hmm. me. And it wasn't like, um, it wasn't like, like, I don't like white people, not that kind of work, no. but like work in terms of like, um, yeah, identity and who I am really. Mm-hmm. And then this um, coming and moving outside of my comfort, mm-hmm. my comfort, my comfort zone, what I called warm home, you know, blackness and having to move beyond that to um be in a sacred space with people who were not black. Mm-hmm. That was the, my very first time for that. So again, deep work at the same time was when I was working on my doctorate and um, taking courses in um, anti-racist education and then having to go to South Africa, mm. you know? Um, so there was a deep work. Wow, that's a lot. Some head work going, it was a lot. That's head a work lot. going on, hard work going on, cultural work, spiritual Ooh. work. Um, major shift happening. And I knew it. I knew I'm like, I knew that this was changing my life. This was happening like this because it would impact, um, like it had to do with the trajectory of my purpose. Mm-hmm. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Like I could feel it. And I tried to remember and absorb <laughs> as much yeah. as I could during that time. I hope to be able to write about it one day. Um, and so I, yeah. And, and so then in my process, I had to begin to live beyond the black white binary mm-hmm. um, and beyond like uh, the rate, the mindset that race had imposed on me. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that people can't see me moving my hands so much, but <laughs> so, uh, and, and that, is, I mean, that was, that's been huge. That was huge. And so, uh, yes. So then this permission to be, I would say really began to, I think be cultivated um, during that time because I had to ask like, Hey, you know, who am I really? Like if race isn't um, narrating, you know, my identity. And then I'd have to ask that about the people around me. Who is this really if race isn't calling the shots, you know, mm-hmm. and, and telling us what to do? Mm-hmm. And then I married a white guy. So no. So um and yeah, and like I said, it it costs me comfort and my comfort zone. It costs me um fitting in. Mm-hmm. Um which is hard because when you know how to belong in a group and now, you know, you're challenged with asking, um, okay, is that really your group? Who are you really? Um, Then that um, also affects, yeah, you're fitting in and and where you belong um, because, you know, belonging is essential to humans. Yes. It's ingrained. Back to Brene, you know, like we are meant for connection. And so. Meant for connection. And so now I'm like, okay, connecting with people that, you know, I'm not connected with before. So then learning how to connect to people in different ways and knowing that it is essential for my becoming, (laughs) you know, and then, but then I gained um, growth and 
um, new experiences, um, freedom, um, unconventionality. Is that a word? Sure. Absolutely. It can be now. Okay. Whatever that means. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, then we have children. So now I really am so far away from where I started, you know, as I'm in this, you know, I'm out here a citizen of the world and, you know, I'm not in my very comfortable black mm-hmm. space, even though I still am in my, you know, black yeah. skin, but I'm having to navigate the world with a different mindset. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now, now I'm in this marriage. So now I'm in a covenant mm-hmm. that is beyond the binary. Mm-hmm. You know, now I'm in this covenant and then, and then we have children. So, oh, now mm-hmm. there really is no going back, you know. Yeah. And then now with children, there is a whole different motivation. Now I'm like, because before my husband and I had children, we, you know, we're like, we're good because we know um, how to be consciously, you know, Mm anti-racist. You know, we know, we are aware, um, we're good. You know, we just, you know, sometimes, you know, when things are happening around us, we just kind of give each other this Mm -hmm. look because, you know, we know, you know, like that's wrong or that was weird or that was racist or whatever, you know, we, and we know how to not contribute, but, um, but then it just, we just kind of kept it between us until we had kids. And then, you know, then that whole mama bear raises, it rises up and says, Oh my gosh, I have to like make this world better for my children. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is having children is a mm-hmm. major motivation, um, to do, um, this work through through brownicity. Mm. <laughs> so for those of us who are listening or for those who are listening um, who are in Charlotte, are there workshops that people can go to that are just open to the community that you host? Oh, sure. Well, first of all, everything that brownicity hosts um, is open like to okay. the public. So even if a church is hosting it, it's open to the public. Like we would not, we don't do anything that is somehow like exclusive and small. Just for one organization. Right. No, it's like the church can host us coming to teach the class, but it's open to the public. Um, You know, even like we've been at the library, um, we've been in neighborhoods, but, um, but because we don't have like a uh, prescribed schedule, um, we, uh, we just take, like when people invite us, you know, we can mm-hmm. see if it works and then we show up. And so the best way to, uh, keep up with us and stay in contact with us is to subscribe to mm-hmm. our email list. And that's at brownicity.com, or you can go to our Facebook page and subscribe. And then, you know, we will shoot out an email and say, Hey, this is coming up. You know, we're, we're going to be doing a, a family workshop at Watershed uh, in the fall. So, you know, you can uh, attend that. And then um, we have some things coming up that um, we'll, we'll have, we'll, we'll be more accessible to people beyond uh, brick and mortar. So mm. I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> so you authored um, What Lies Between Us, the journal and mm-hmm. guide. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that and um how people can use that as a tool and how it would benefit family. Sure. Okay. So um, again, having done this work for years, um, um, I would, you know, go into spaces or being invited into spaces for uh, people to have discussions or dialogue. I'm doing air quotes around (laughs) race and, um, and I'm like, yeah, this is horrible. Like, why would you do it this way? Or why would you, why would a person like organize it or, you know, mediate it? Like why? And and I would just watch people leave a lot more hurt um, than when they, they came. Um, and I mean, everybody, like maybe the people of color, um, maybe they're more traumatized um, by um maybe having to talk about something or maybe being talked at and then white mm-hmm. people are traumatized because um, maybe they were uh, and made to feel guilty. And I don't mean like they chose to feel guilty. No, I, this was like 20 years ago. I mean, people were like, that was the goal. Like 
you're supposed to feel guilty. And I thought, oh, okay, I would never do this <laughs> if I ever had a chance, not knowing that I would ever get the chance. And so um, I just took my experience from, you know, being a student in a classroom. And, mm-hmm. and I, I had the privilege, of course, of being mm-hmm. in, in, in anti-racist education classrooms. And so it was just like any classroom structure where the teacher <laughs> teaches mm-hmm. and the student reads or whatever, does the assignments and learns. <laughs> so I like that model. Yeah. Um, there was never, yeah, I don't remember a classroom where there was, you know, any kind of um, outburst or, you know, people leaving with hurt feelings. Um, and so I just, that's what I structured. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to put together a curriculum that has mm. scaffolding, mm-hmm. you know, and again, like people are doing this and they, you know, I'm like, there are, there's no training. There's no pedagogy. You've not, you don't know how to educate people. That is a science, you know? So, so I just, yeah. So I put that, um, together and, you know, I start with very easy things. Um, and it, and it says, um, yes, it says, uh, fostering first steps toward racial healing is the little subtitle because it's for beginners. And that's Mm -hmm. where, um, I saw a lot of pain that people would come to the table to start the journey um, towards anti-racism or racial healing. And they would just get the wind knocked out of them or the, their mm-hmm. legs knocked from under them. And I'm like, now I know those people will never, ever, ever. And I heard people will never, ever come back to the table. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to create something where people could get a healthy start. Like, yeah. If you're a kind of kindergartner, I'm not going to hit you over the head with calculus. You know, we're not going to start with right. the hard stuff. Let's start with hey. basic like, definitions. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about how melanin first, you know. Mm. And then by the time we get to systemic racism and, the, you know, the history of immigration and the horrors like people are like, Oh, okay. All of this fits together. Um, Mm. Oh, I see now. And a -hmm. lot of things that there are a lot of things that I don't even have to get into. um, Cause some, some things have become um, kind of hijacked by like divisive politicians. I'll just say um, like white privilege. So um, unfortunately that's just been something that's been hijacked and um, co-opted and just now it's just a bucket of, fire, I tell you. And and then 20, so. years ago, 20 years ago, it was not that. But, um, you know, occasionally I'll have, you know, adult students who want to start there. Let's start there. And I'm like, no, let's not. And um, <laughs> let's start here and let's learn some, let's learn your ABCs first. Right? Yeah. And yeah. then typically by the end of the mm-hmm. whatever five to, depending on how many weeks you want to go, five to seven weeks, People don't, they don't have those questions because all of your, now you have understanding and context and history. And so now you understand um, maybe some things that, well, you certainly couldn't, you couldn't understand before. Like you can't understand calculus until you, you yeah. have to count first, you know? Uh, so that's what this is. And it's, and it's for beginners. And, um, and I have, um, I updated. It's due for another update, um, especially because it seems like as the country shifts, then I like you know update it. Make little tweaks, yeah. Like make little tweaks, and then um, yeah. and then we have supplemental resources on our website. So like if you do get the journal, and you you can do it by yourself, mm-hmm. um, or you can do it in a group, and uh, but either way, there are supplemental resources on the website um, under. Mm-hmm. Um, what lies between us students. And so mm-hmm. uh, each chapter has, you know, resources. And then I'll, sometimes I'll change those out or, um, and it's, so it's just meant to be like a class that is psychologically safe. Now I know people have a problem with the word safe space or gray space, but as an educator, if your mm-hmm. class is not psychologically safe, mm-hmm. your students cannot learn. So mm. people can't learn if, you know, they're being yelled at or if they're, you know, if they think that somebody's going to punch them in the face or say something horrible. Yeah. Um, so that's just, that's, that's the truth. So I, yeah. that was my heart to create something that 
modeled a classroom experience. <laughs> so needed. Oh my gosh. Why are you not in every stinking school oh. and every church? And yeah. I mean, like it doesn't, we need that. Yeah. It's a death. Even mm-hmm. those of us, uh, us white people, when we consider ourselves woke, we're not. And um, we need to start from the beginning. Let's just own it. Okay. <laughs> All you Caucasians out there, um, including myself, I'm speaking to myself um, as well. So I'm going to say, and some people who are, who are, will, you know, learn a little and then they're, then they're on fire and raring to go and then they go out and beat up people. And I'm like, no, is that how you learned? Like, so you have to be the same patience and grace that someone, you know, showed you to be able to teach you, then you need to, to do that as well. And I'm not saying like, you know, let's be passive and, yeah. um, and drag our feet. Um, I'm just saying, you know, be, what is it hard on systems mm-hmm. and be soft on people. Mm-hmm. Love that. I love, love that. <laughs> well, Lucrisa, thank you so much um, for um, giving up an evening and um, talking with us and sharing your heart. And oh my goodness, you have created and you are such an amazing resource. Like I'm just, I'm blown away um, by who you are and the opportunity. People just need to like scoop you up and you need to be doing workshops every day. Like especially... I mean, if our current climate is not screaming for you to come to their city or church, I mean, y'all, seriously, I mean, (laughs) just there's no need to be on Facebook or any of that. Like, let's just get let's get some learning and education here. Um, And I'll be right there with you. So, um, Lucretia, one more time. Can you tell everybody where to find you on social media and your website and all that good stuff? Okay, um, my website is brownnicity. Um, that's brown city, I C I T Y.com. And that's what it is on Facebook and Instagram. And then for me, Lucretia, um, let's see, I am Lucretia Berry, um, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook on all the things. So it's either Lucretia Berry or Brown city on all the things. <laughs> and all those things um, will also be listed in our show notes as well. So you'll have to do is go to BeccaEpley.com backslash podcast and you all can just click away on all Lucretia's all things. things. All of them. <laughs> well, thank you again, Lucretia. I really appreciate you spending the evening with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. and Congratulations on this amazing podcast. Oh, thank you. You're for joining us on Permission to Be. I'm your host, Becca Epley, and thank you to my good friend and co-host, David Roberts. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and you'll never miss an episode. We are available on all the major podcasting platforms. And while you're there, if you would leave us a rating and or review, we are always looking for more and more ways to hear from our listeners. You can find the links for today's guests and the show notes located at BeccaEpley.com. We do hope that you will join us for our next episode.